Hi, this is Brent White. Welcome to my sermon podcast. I preached the following message on December 17th, 2017. This is the third Sunday in Advent, and we're looking at the the scripture in Luke chapter 1 where Mary visits her relative Elizabeth because Gabriel has told her that This will be a sign to her that everything he's told her is going to come to pass, that she's going to miraculously conceive and give birth to God's son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And a sign that this is going to happen is that she will find that her relative Elizabeth, who is known to be barren, is going to uh, be pregnant, six months pregnant. And of course, Mary uh, is overjoyed when she gets to Elizabeth's house and finds that what the angel said is true. And Mary speaks these words, my soul magnifies the Lord. And one of the things I'm going to try to get across in this sermon is that we too need to learn to magnify the Lord. Um, Instead, we Christians so often magnify uh, the problems that we're facing in our lives. We magnify the challenges. We magnify the worries, all these things. But the Lord is so much bigger than any challenges that we face. Mary certainly realized that in today's scripture, and we need to as well. Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56, which I'll read now. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forevermore. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Nan, Nan, did you do you teach English? Uh, I teach elementary. Yeah, but you have to teach English. Yeah. Now, would would you say leaped for joy or leapt for joy? Leaped. You would say leaped. Yeah. I want to say leapt. Why is that? Am I wrong? No. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it can be either. That's correct. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, I love our English Standard Version that we use, but uh, I would I would modify it there. Uh, <laughs> my my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What does this mean for us today, and how do we do it? That's mostly what this sermon is about. The last verse of scripture I preached on in last week's sermon was Luke 1, 38, which immediately precedes today's scripture. The angel Gabriel has just told Mary that she's going to miraculously conceive by the Holy Spirit and give birth to God's son, Jesus. And Mary courageously responds with what I call some of the most beautiful words ever spoken. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now I want us to hear what the second part of that verse says. And the angel departed from her. And the angel departed from her. Mary undoubtedly has dozens of questions at this point. Is this really happening to me? Am I dreaming? Am I hallucinating? How will I tell Joseph? When will I tell Joseph? Will Joseph believe me? What will our families think? What will our friends think? How am I supposed to raise God's son? Am I smart enough? Am I wise enough? Do I have what it takes? Mary could not Google the answer to any of these questions. And even if smartphones existed in the first century, it doesn't seem like Gabriel is the kind of angel who would use one. He's not the kind of angel who's going to tell Mary, hey, just message me if you have any further questions. He is not Aladdin and Mary does not have a lamp. Gabriel has left Mary to face a frightening, uncertain future all by herself at this point without the benefit of any further angelic appearances. Now, we get this mixed up in our minds. The angels are going to appear to the shepherds abiding in their fields, keeping watch by by their keeping watch over their flocks by night. That's going to happen But those angels don't then go to the manger. The shepherds go to the manger and they report this angelic visitation to Mary and Joseph. It's a secondhand report. My point is in verse 38, Mary has submitted herself to God. She has surrendered her life to God. But that doesn't mean she isn't scared. Being brave doesn't mean you're not also terrified. And being faithful doesn't mean that you have no doubt. Or else Gabriel's words to Mary in verse 36 would make no sense. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Why does Gabriel bother to tell Mary this? To give her a sign, a way of reassuring herself, a way of confirming for her that, that everything that Gabriel has told her will come to pass. Mary knows that her relative is unable to get pregnant. She's too old at this point anyway, as far as Mary knows. And we're told in verse 24 that Elizabeth has kept this pregnancy a secret up to this point. So 
If Mary goes to Elizabeth's house and finds that she is indeed pregnant, well, that would be a pretty good sign that everything else the angel told her is true as well. So in verse 39, we're told that Mary went with haste into the hill country, into a town in Judah, where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived. Why with haste? Because I imagine that Mary was anxious to relieve her fears and relieve her doubts and to to find the kind of reassurance she was looking for. And if she went with haste, it would still take her three days to get from her hometown in Nazareth down to this town in southern Judah. So for those three days, Mary was left alone with her questions alone with her fears, alone with her doubts. And assuming she told Joseph before she left that she was going to have this baby, it's likely that she left with her marriage in the future up in the air. It was uncertain whether it would happen. We're told in Matthew's gospel that when Joseph heard the news, he didn't believe Mary. He figured Mary had been cheating on him and he was pondering whether or not to break off the engagement. All that to say, we can only imagine how difficult this time in Mary's life was. But isn't it safe to say that difficulty comes with the territory of having genuine, saving Christian faith? Look at verses 54 and 55. This is part of Mary's song, the the Magnificat, as it's traditionally called. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Why mention Abraham? Because long ago, back in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham to leave his home, leave his father's household, leave his uh, his nation and go somewhere. And Abraham, where do you want me to go? I'm not going to tell you now. I'll tell you later. <laughs> and uh, and then God told Abraham he's going to have a, a son. He's going to have descendants and that through his descendants, there's going to be one who is going to be savior to the world. The only problem, of course, is Abraham and his wife, Sarah, Just like Elizabeth and Zechariah were unable to get pregnant back when they were of childbearing age. Now Abraham is 75 years old and uh, Sarah is 65 years old. So if they're going to have these descendants through whom the Savior and Messiah is going to come, it's going to take a miracle on God's part to make that promise come true. And then... After promising Abraham that this was going to happen, it takes another 25 years before God fulfills that promise by giving Abraham and Sarah their son, Isaac. There was a lot of suffering, a lot of doubting, a lot of pain during those 25 years. And you might ask, why? Why does faith have to be so Hard. I mean, I'm talking about real, genuine, sincere, saving Christian faith. 
you know, it's not just what you believe up here. It's not a set of propositions that you believe about God and his son, Jesus. That's not what faith is. Faith, it includes that, of course, but it is a faith that actually does something in response. It's a faith that lives itself out. It's a faith that changes your life. That kind of faith is always incredibly difficult when we see it in the Bible. Why did Mary have to wait for at least three days to see this sign and to get the kind of confirmation and reassurance that she was looking for? Why didn't Gabriel give her a sign immediately that would confirm the truth of what he said? For that matter, why did uh, Abraham and Sarah have to wait for 25 years to see whether or not for sure God was going to answer Uh, their prayers and fulfill this promise. Why is faith so hard? And here's the best answer to that question, biblically speaking. God intends for it to be hard. That's That's not a pleasant answer, but it is a truthful answer. You see, every time we put our faith in action and discover that, oh yeah, We've somehow made it through this trial okay. Once again, God has taken care of us in spite of our fear, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our questions. Every time God tests our faith, our faith will be just a little bit stronger. And if our faith is stronger, guess what? We'll trust in the Lord more. And if we trust in the Lord more, guess what? We'll love the Lord more. And the more we love the Lord, the more we'll submit our lives to him the more we'll entrust our lives to him. And the more we do that, the more joy that we'll experience. Look at the joy in today's scripture, the joy that Mary and Elizabeth are are experiencing. Don't we want that? We'll only find that kind of joy on the other side of God's testing of us. What does Peter tell us in 1 Peter 4, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Like it or not, testing is a part of God's plan for our lives. Now, I can hardly exaggerate, for instance, how badly tested yours truly was and Lisa was when I decided to change careers and go into ministry. We had three children at home under the age of five. One was a newborn when I left my engineering career, when we sold our house, when I uprooted our family, when I, when I went, I had to go to an expensive seminary, when we had to purchase health insurance that wasn't provided through any employer. Yet somehow we found a way to make ends meet for the next several years, in spite of the fact that we had a series of bizarre automobile mechanical problems. (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating when I say Satan caused those problems. Oddly enough, the onset of this fiery financial trial also corresponded to our decision to begin 
tithing, that is to giving 10% of our income to the church. After all, I was going to be a pastor. I'm going to be asking my parishioners to tithe. What kind of hypocrite would I be if I didn't do it myself? So we, we did that at, at the seemingly most inopportune time, but we had to. We felt called by God to do this. And guess what? It all worked out. We are many years on the other side of this financial testing. And look, we made it through. So God has proven that we can trust him in this very sensitive area of our lives when it comes to our money. And if we can trust him in that area, what other areas of our lives should we be able to trust him in? As a result of our experience, we have greater confidence in God. And that's a confidence that I want all of you to have as well. You're only going to get that kind of confidence when you are tested. And if we are tested and if we if we endure the test on the other side of that, we're going to be able to do what we see Mary do in last week's scripture, in this week's scripture, which is surrender our lives to the Lord. We can learn to say along with Mary, here I am. I'm your servant. Don't mince words. I'm your slave. You're completely in in charge of my life. I live my life for you and you only. My goal in life is to please you and not to please myself. My my goal is to is to is to glorify you and not glorify myself. My goal is to do your will and not to do my will. When you find yourself getting angry and upset in life, how often is it because, doggone it, you missed an opportunity to do God's will? You, you, you weren't you missed your chance to glorify God. Do you ever get angry about that? Of course not. You get angry when your when 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 what happens doesn't go according to your own plans, according to your own will. Mary said, "My soul magnifies the Lord." Does mine? Does yours? See, surrendering to our Lord. It doesn't simply mean asking Jesus for advice on how to live. It doesn't mean asking him to help us out of a jam every now and then. It doesn't mean asking him to be our personal assistant. It doesn't mean asking him to be our life coach. It means he's in charge. It means that what he wants, he gets. It means that we're happy to give it to him because we're not living our lives for ourselves. We're living our lives for him. Our soul is to magnify the Lord. Yet we so often try to cut Jesus down to someone who's just a little bit bigger than we are. You know, a bigger, more powerful, more perfect version of ourselves. But who are we kidding? Our Lord created this universe and our lives within it. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. Pastor Tim Keller reflects on the the meaning of that verse with this analogy. If the distance between the earth and the sun, 93 million miles, was no more than the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. 
The diameter of the Milky Way would be a stack of paper over 300 miles high. Keep in mind that there are more galaxies in the universe than we can number. There are more, it seems, than dust specks in the air or grains of sand on the seashores. Now, if Jesus Christ holds all of this together with just a word of his power, Hebrews 1.3, is he the kind of person you ask into your life to be your assistant? Is he the kind of person that you ask to be your consultant? No, he is the supreme Lord. Brothers and sisters, if we could teach our souls to magnify the Lord, then we'll learn to interpret the events in our lives in a different way. Think, for example, of the Christmas story, Luke chapter two. We'll look at that next week uh, on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve service. We'll talk about, but you know the story, right? Um, we know that from prophecy, Micah 5.2, that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. Okay. The only problem is we know that the child's, that the Messiah's mother and his adoptive father are currently living in Nazareth, 75, I mean, 70 miles to the north. So Mary's going to have this baby soon. So how will God get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth down to Bethlehem so that this prophecy will be fulfilled? And when we look at the the story in Luke 2, it's almost like God is saying, let me show you. (laughs) This is no problem. Watch how I'm going to accomplish this. He has Caesar Augustus. Declare that there's going to be an empire-wide census. Caesar Augustus is literally, at this point in history, the most powerful man who's ever lived. He is hailed by many of his subjects, literally, with these titles, Lord, Savior, Son of the Gods. And yet Luke tells us in chapter 2, that the real savior of the world, the, 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 the real son of God, the real Lord is in charge and that this most powerful man is really just doing the bidding of the true Lord by calling this census. Everyone has to go to their hometowns and register and voila, just like that. Joseph and Mary move from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Prophecy is fulfilled. The Messiah is born. Was it just a coincidence that Augustus happened to call for this census to get them from point A to point B? Of course not. Or if you insist that it was, then let's just say that God works through coincidences all the time. Do you see coincidences in your own life that turn out to be the very hand of God? I'm sure you do if you think about it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Brothers and sisters, God has, some, has the same good plans for us. God has made us a part of his plans. So magnify the Lord. He is, he is bigger than that dream that you had that never came true. In fact, he's got better dreams for you in the future. Magnify the Lord. He's bigger than any problems you're facing in your family, 
with your children or with your parents, if you are a child. <laughs> uh, he's bigger than any problem that you're, you're facing in your marriage. Magnify the Lord. He, he's, he's bigger than that scary diagnosis you received from the doctor. He's bigger than that tumor. He's bigger than that cancer. He's bigger than that disease you're dealing with. Magnify the Lord. He's bigger than any problem you're facing in your job, in your career, or at school. Magnify the Lord. He's bigger than any financial crisis you're facing. Magnify the Lord. He's bigger than any sin, any failure, any disappointment. Magnify the Lord. He's bigger than than whatever you're afraid of. Magnify the Lord. Why do we act so often like our problems are so big? And our Lord is so small. We need to say with Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. And why? Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. For me. Now, that's certainly true for Mary. Think about it. There was surely some irony in the angel's words to her back in verse 28 when he tells her, the Lord is with you. Because very soon, probably within a matter of moments, after the Holy Spirit came upon her and conceived Jesus in her womb, the Lord was going to be with Mary in a way that he had never been with any other human being. The Lord was literally going to be a part of, of Mary. Up to that point in human history, no human being had been closer to God than Mary. What a gracious privilege God had given her. So by all means, he who is mighty had done amazing things for her. And yet soon, through the atoning work of God's son, Jesus, on the cross. This privilege would be shared by everyone who believes in Christ. If you don't believe me, think about this. The temple in Jerusalem, in the sanctuary of the temple, there was a special room called the most holy place, the holy of holies. There was a partition or a curtain in front of this room. This room was the place where God's presence, God's holiness dwelt in a special way, so much so that we sinful human beings could not walk in there. There was exactly one person in the world who was allowed to walk in there, but then only once a year after all kinds of special preparation because it's dangerous for us sinners to be so close to God. It will kill us, the Bible says. We can't look at God's face and live, God tells Moses. And when God's people get close to God, they're always afraid for their lives because they're sinners. Our sin separates us from God. And guess what? This curtain in the temple, in the sanctuary, was a symbol of this separation. You know, back in, we looked at this uh, a couple of weeks ago with Zechariah. The priest, when he was serving in the sanctuary, he could, have, he, could, he could only have looked longingly over across the room at this curtain and thought to himself, I can never be closer to God than I am right now. 
because I will die if I go into that most holy place because I'm a sinner, right? This is as close to God as I can get, okay? But what happened the moment when Jesus died? The Bible tells us that that thick, this curtain, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, four inches thick, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, Scripture says. And this miracle symbolized that there is now nothing which needs to separate us from God. Our sins are no longer a barrier between us and God. Because on the cross, a glorious exchange took place. Christ took our sins upon himself, suffered the penalty for them that we deserve to suffer. And in exchange, he gave he imputed, which means he gave us freely as a gift, his righteousness so that now we can stand before God as if we had never sinned, as if we were perfectly holy. And not only that, consider the location of the temple today. Where is the temple found? Well, that temple that was around in Jesus' day has been destroyed you know, way back in the year 70. Where is the temple today? 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? For those of us who are in Christ, the Bible says that our bodies are a temple. And like that temple in Jerusalem before Christ died, God's very presence, his glory, his holiness now dwells within us. What Mary had within her physically When the power of the Most High overshadowed her and she conceived the Lord in her womb, we now have spiritually. The reality is the same. Our bodies are a temple and God is living inside of us. What a privilege we have in Christ. In Christ, we are favored, most highly favored in the exact same way that Mary was. In Christ, we are as full of grace as Mary was. In Christ, the Lord is with us as much as he was with Mary. So we can say, along with Mary, he who is mighty has done great things for me. Amen? What an amazing privilege you've given us, God, that your son Jesus through the Holy Spirit is living within us. You have made us your beloved children. You have sanctified, you are sanctifying our souls. And in your eyes, It's as if we've never sinned, not because of our own righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness. Someday you will sanctify us completely. When we are in eternity, we will be everything that you created us to be. And we will be in eternity with you because at Christmas you sent your son Jesus into the world. Remind us of this truth. Encourage us with this truth. Encourage us to to see your fingerprints everywhere on our lives. Remind us that 
Our lives are in your hands and we can always trust you with them. No matter what happens. Because of our faith in Christ, even the end of the world isn't the end of the world. In fact, it's just the beginning in a way. Because life in this world is a tiny blip compared to life in eternity with you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're on the south side of Atlanta on a Sunday morning, I hope that you will feel welcome to come and worship with us at Hampton United Methodist Church. We have two worship services. We have a nine o'clock acoustic contemporary service, and then we have a more traditional service at 11. I hope you'll join us.